Welcome to another deep dive episode of the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This is where we will dig deeper into the content from Sunday's sermon, consider even more ways of thinking about the Bible and how to live it, and encourage one another to follow Jesus more closely together. I'm your host, Will Barlow. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. This is Will Barlow, and we've got a special episode of the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Uh, We're in our Exodus series right now, and since other people are preaching in this series besides me, uh, we thought it would be fun to have some interviews, uh, some deep dive interviews, and so this is a new uh, kind of segment for us. And today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Adam Werwell. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for preaching last weekend and also for taking the time to sit down with me. Um, people uh, people know a little bit about me. I, I've been interviewed a couple of different places, um, but you've preached now twice at Compass and people, especially people from far away, people in our church know who you are, so that's good. But uh, people from far away may not know much about you. So uh, would you like to tell the people listening to the podcast a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Uh, my Christian walk started really early. I was born and raised in a Christian family. Uh, we went to church every week. I remember sitting down at the breakfast table when I was really young, my father reading directly from the Bible to us each morning, learned a lot of Ephesians during that time, still have that memories and obviously have a lot of verses memorized out of that today. Um, It wasn't really until my teen years that I really made the Christian faith my own. I, you know, made that conscious effort to, it wasn't just checking the box. It wasn't just doing what my parents wanted. It was actually what I wanted for my life, claiming Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, It wasn't really until my college years that I started questioning some of my beliefs started doing a little bit more researching, diving into topics, uh, questioning like why this, why that, where in the Bible um, does this answer pertain to. And I came up with some different conclusions than what my church taught. Um, This was later on. um, I still attended the Bible fellowships and everything on my church. But just continue to uh, do research, think of the ideas, research out what uh, leading Christian authors and scholars, what they say about different topics. And later on in our life, uh, my wife and I, we actually drifted away from our Bible study. Um, We started attending a few other Bible studies and some stuff online and just seeing if there's any good fit for something that was closer to what our new beliefs were versus our old church. And ultimately we found our home at compass after we heard from you and <clears throat> talked about the church plant and obviously decided to, 
pick up and move our lives to plant a church in Louisville and to have a place that is closer to our current beliefs and is obviously open to changing beliefs and accepting people with different backgrounds and different faiths um, that come from all different walks of life and to not have to have everyone think the same thing. Yeah, I think I think a funny part of of your story in terms of moving here is that um, I we were my, my wife and I, Becca and I are actually, you know, we've known your wife, Megan, now for I think it's got to be like 12 or 13 or 14 years at this point. Yeah, it's got to be 14 years almost at this point. So we've known we've known your wife for like 14 years. She was in Bible studies with us in Atlanta a long time ago and then kept in, in touch with her over the years. Um, I've been close friends with your brother, Jerry, for the last 10 years or so. But I, I, I was thinking about like, I mean, I knew who you were, but I feel like we didn't really meet or really interact much before y'all got married. Uh, do you have a, a different recollection of that in terms of like, uh, so like I said, I, I know I've seen you at events and, and we interacted in smaller ways, but I'm not sure before your wedding, really, we we talked all that much. Um, no, I that, through Megan, but I, I don't think we'd really. Yeah, the, that much. the biggest interaction that I can think of before Megan and I got married of us two was probably when you were still. It must have been way D when you're in Michigan. I think you ran intermediate class, maybe. Ah, yes. Uh -huh. That we yeah. attended. And I just remember, I think you were the leader of one of the Acceler sessions. And so that was the one time that I think we got a little bit, it wasn't one-on-one -on -one because it was like, I think like three of us along with you or something like that. That's right. But that was like yeah. the closest like one-on-one -on -one interaction I think we had to yeah. before Megan and I got married. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's no, that's a good memory. That's 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 fun. Yeah, so I still remember the conversation that we had. Uh, it's it's it, you have to know your wife, so the people that are listening <laughs> won't get the fullness of this. But I still remember when um, Becca and I, I think we hopped on a Zoom call with the two of you, and we were explaining, you know, what we were doing with Compass, and I don't even know if the the official invite was like out of my mouth, really before Megan like looked at you and she was like, you know, we're moving, right? I'm pretty sure those were her exact words. And I remember the look on your face of just like shock. <laughs> 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 and um, anyway, it was, it's just a funny story. And of course, I'm sure you guys talked about it more after that. It wasn't just like her impulsive decision-making that led to y'all moving here, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun story and, and we've enjoyed obviously having both of you uh, help with compass and, and, um, and so, and so, and so forth. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. Th thanks so much for sharing more about yourself. Um, let's, let's transition a little bit to your sermon on uh, this past Sunday. Um, your topic was Moses's response in the exodus of Jesus. Uh, you spent a lot of time talking about uh, the burning bush episode, Moses's response in the wake of the burning bush episode. And then you, went through a lot of the echoes, especially related to Jesus's life. Um, now, in the beginning part of that sermon, you spent a good amount of time telling the story of uh, basically Moses's uh, interaction with God at the burning bush, how he responded to what God was telling him. Um, 
my, my question for you is, you know, do you have any stories from your past where you responded so, somewhat like Moses did? Like, obviously you didn't ever encounter God in a burning bush or anything like that. Um, I, I can't say that I had either. I don't know anybody that really has. Uh, but mm-hmm. is there anything where you have um, a story where you maybe responded to God, God, you know, God was impressing upon you. Uh, hey, Adam, you should do X, Y, or Z. And you're like, I'm not sure we should do that or I should do that. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because my example that I can think of is actually moving to Louisville full <laughs> compass. <laughs> so um, the idea of moving to Louisville, like you said, you guys presented that. Uh, Megan and I, we actually, I think it might have been the next day or something like that. We took a walk. Um, it was in the summer, so it was nice weather. We would normally go out for a few miles walking. And while we're walking, we decided to talk about moving to Louisville. And initially, you know, I was like very excited, totally on board, like we should move and everything. And we came out of that, like, yes, we are moving. However, it was not until a little bit later on, I think, that it really sunk in what that all pertained and what that all encompassed of how our lives would change. Mm-hmm. And the reality of the, of the decision sunk in. So in Memphis, we had just purchased a house about a year prior to me to when we decided that we were going to move to Louisville. The house we purchased, it was an estate house. It was in need of a lot of repair. Everything was from like the 60s, 70s within it. And so we initially bought the house thinking that we were going to be there, you know, three to five years. So we might as well make it what we want. We might as well upgrade everything. So we pretty much gutted the house about 80%. And we were still working on finishing it back. I'm not even sure if we were in like halfway along getting everything back. So, you know, there's no real timeline. Just do it at a leisure. You know, when it gets done, it gets done. Well, now we suddenly had a deadline of when we were planning on moving to Louisville and especially like when the church plant, if we wanted to be there right at the very beginning, um, there was a full on deadline now. And obviously we would also have to sell the house which most people when you purchase a house they say to be in it you know three to five years that's even just recouping costs from the purchase price let alone paying and doing full renovations so there was how do we sell the house how do we you know get the costs that we put into it back luckily we're doing a lot of the labor ourselves so that definitely helps um you know at the time it seemed like it might be doable have a year finish the house and everything. Um, However, a few months later, I started to have back pain. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I had a herniated disc. So we ended up losing almost about five months of being able to do housework, like the labor ourselves. Um, Two of those months was definitely when I was in pain, um, was going to a chiropractor, was trying to not have to do surgery, um, didn't know exactly how bad it was, thought it was a herniated disc and everything, but didn't know exactly if it was or not, or if it was more muscle or something, or like a pinched nerve. But definitely once I had surgery, it was three months of doing almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, that whole year being like, yeah, we can finish the house in a year went to, you now have half the time to finish the house. So it was like, ah, did we make the right decision? Should we like be there on time when it starts? Can we just like, you know, go the next year or go halfway through? Um, I mean, it seemed like the task was just like too large, didn't have enough time. Um, long story short, luckily we were able to finish the house on time. We actually finished it two weeks before we sold it. Mm-hmm. We pretty much finished it, took half our stuff out of it to stage it, to sell it, had staged for a week, and we had already found a house in Louisville, um, was under contract, and so we ended up moving to Louisville prior to actually the house being sold and went into a rental during the time of transition. And then luck, we were very fortunate that one week after we left, we got an offer, actually got, I think two or three, but we accepted an offer and that's the one that went through. The seller was paying cash. It was at a price that covered the purchase price, plus I would say all the materials that went into the house for all the upgrades. Um, so we actually didn't lose any money there. Obviously, we did not gain too much on our labor since, you know, we did it, but you don't. We at least didn't lose money. It was just time, but we enjoy, you know, the housework and everything, fixing things up. So it was all like all the way around. It was like a win, win, win. Um, the new house that I moved into has a larger backyard for the dogs. Uh, in Memphis, there's no basements. So you're able to get more square footage of a basement, more room, even though the house is relatively like the same size square footage as what Memphis was. So we're able to get a lot of upgrades and get a lot of stuff that we didn't have before. And so overall, it ended up being a very good transition. We were very blessed. But looking back and at the time and at those moments, it was like, I'm not sure if we want to do this. I don't know if this is the right call. I don't know if this is where we should go, what we should do. There's a lot of stress, a lot of doubt, questions. So I can definitely see how Moses could relate to being asked a very large task. And I'm sure, which, you know, it's not written in the Bible, but I'm sure he had his days, he had his moments of battling his thoughts of, am I doing the right thing? Is this what I should be doing? Um, You know, the entire time, even, I mean, you know, we didn't get a burning bush, but even then, and all the signs that he had and yet still to be like, am I able to do this? Even if God's with me, like it would be just something that you can't really think about, but obviously in our life and times we do get glimpses, I think of what Moses might've been going through in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think your story is unique. I feel like with almost everyone that we ask, you know, you know, Beck and I would say, you know, Hey, we want to invite so-and-so to be part of the plant. And I was like, man, but they've got like five reasons not to move. And I I remember when we were talking about y'all, I was like, man, they just bought that house in Memphis. They're, they're remodeling it. You know, all the stuff you just mentioned, you know, there's like all these reasons to not move. Um, 
you know, unlike a lot of people in our church plant too, um, you guys, both of you work in fields that require uh, basically in-person jobs. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. you cannot work remotely. So both of you, not only did you have to, you know, find a way to break even on the house that you had bought and, and buy a new house and move, move your, you know, dogs and move your life and all that. But you both also had to get new jobs, um, which you both did very quickly and successfully. But, um, but, you know, a lot of the other people in our church plant were able to work remote and keep their jobs. And so like, that's one layer that a lot of people didn't have to mess with, but like uh, the Ely's, they left their family back in Richmond, you know, um, and I remember when we first asked them, I was like, man, I know you guys have, you know, you're close to family. I know how important that is to us, you know? And so, yeah, I feel like your story, um, is, is unique, uh, in some of the layers that you had that were unique to you. But I feel like a lot of the people that have come to help us plant compass, especially those of you that moved in from out of town had probably similar moments of like, is this really the right decision? Are we really? Are we really uh, supposed to be doing this? And uh, anyway, time will tell, I suppose. <laughs> time will mm-hmm. tell. Um, all right. So that was the first part. The first part of your sermon, um, Moses' response to the burning bush. The The second half of the sermon was really talking about the parallels between um, Moses and Jesus. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Deuteronomy uh, 18, where Moses uh, prophesies about a, a prophet like him that's going to come and that the people of God should listen to him. Uh, we find out in the New Testament that that prophet is Jesus. Um, you also, I think, sprinkled in some references, some other echoes, some other uh, layers of similarity. I think you mentioned Noah. Mm-hmm. My, my question for you is, uh, of the parallels that you talked about on Sunday, uh, which parallel is your favorite and why? I think the one that I enjoyed the most was the parallel of teaching what it means to obey the law and God. Um, that one, obviously, I expounded a little bit more on in my sermon. But I think it's very interesting how when I was growing up, I was taught that the Old Testament was for my learning. We focused very heavily on the New Testament. Um, you know, what Jesus taught, what Jesus said. Yet it's interesting to see the comparisons of how Jesus did not get rid of the Ten Commandments or like God's directives from the Old Testament, but he expounded. He went further. Um, Jesus did add some new like radical ideas, but it was all in line with what God had already taught his people through Moses. It wasn't all of a sudden being like, you, I taught you to, to do this and now you don't have to do that. You should do this instead. Or that's a totally opposite. Like I told you to do this. Now we're doing 180, do this. It was more of um, expanding, you know, the, the 10 commandments, when you read them, they're pretty short, pretty dry, straight to the point. Um, very, no details in essence for them. Um, not that some of them need to make details, but, Um, I think Jesus was able to expound on them in ways that you can see how people lived in the Old Testament, and yet it's still the expectation of how we should live today. 
it wasn't suddenly like we have two different expectations, whether you lived then or whether you lived now. And I think it was one of those things that I just didn't always think about too often. It's one of those things that a lot of times people point to, you know, like our motto, following Jesus together, where we look to Jesus very heavily, and yet everything that he did is built on what came before and what God gave to his prophets, which includes Moses, includes the Old Testament. So seeing those connections and um, especially the ones that I had in my sermon where it's just, he says the commandment and then he's like, and let me just continue talking about the commandment a little bit, or let me expound upon that a little bit more in a new light. Um, where you can really see that connection and see how God's will for his people and his desire, his commandments, how we should act and live has not changed throughout time. Yeah, I, I think that parallel is probably my favorite too. And I think especially in the book of, of Matthew, we're supposed to draw that parallel, I think, because, uh, you know, Moses um, is eventually... You know, we, he, he hasn't done this yet in our series, but eventually he's going to go up to the mountain for 40 days mm-hmm. and he's going to come down off the mountain and he's going to find them worshiping a golden calf. <laughs> uh, but um, but what's interesting about that is that Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted of the devil. You know, he gets this chance, this opportunity to sort of um, get like a, a smaller um broken version of what his destiny is which is to rule everything mm-hmm. and and but he has to worship the devil to do it and he you know he goes back to over and over again deuteronomy it's no mistake that he's going back to Deuter- to moses's words to fight off this attack and then in the immediate wake of this happening that's when he goes up to the mount and again the mountain imagery Moses was on a mountain for 40 days, you know, Jesus goes up to a mountain and then he gives that sermon where he very intentionally goes back to the 10 commandments and, and sort of unveils a deeper, deeper layer. And, and, and really we, we learn from this that, you know, and, and God even says it in, I think it's in later Deuteronomy where he talks about the circumcision of the heart. You know, there's this understanding where, you know, God, God wanted this great relationship with his people but as people by and large didn't have the spirit, you know, Moses had the spirit. Eventually the elders underneath him were given the spirit to, to be wise and to deal with people wisely. But the people by and large, um, you know, they didn't have the spirit. And so, you know, Jesus is teaching a group of people who eventually everyone will have the spirit. They'll be able to be circumcised in their hearts. They'll be able to, to really to observe and do the things that God wants them to do. And so mm-hmm. I think that's such a great point. Um, I think it's such a great point that, you know, we're here, we're here to fulfill, you know, God's will. We're not here to like find a circumvent, like a way around God's rules or something. Like you said, it's not like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like adultery all of a sudden becomes good in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus sort of amps it up. He's like, no, nope, you can't even look at someone with lust and have that not be adultery and so it's it's a it's a high calling but one that we with the power of god can 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 do not perfectly but we can do 
So yeah. I thought, yeah, I think that's, that's such an incredible parallel. And I think, like I said, a very intentional one, especially in Matthew, where the order of events is like the same as the order of events in Moses's life. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to hear these echoes uh, reverberate in scripture. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's interesting to think about like the, what you mentioned in Deuteronomy 18, the Moses prophesying of a prophet to come like him. Just think about, you know, how long people waited for the Messiah in general. And then also how long people would be comparing the prophets to, is this the one that Moses talked about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, like Jesus was compared to John the Baptist initially. I'm sure John the Baptist was probably compared to Moses initially as well. Even is not really recorded, but everyone would be comparing them to be like, is this the one Moses talked about? Is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? And I don't think anyone knew it was going to be the same person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, you, you did spend, I think you had like 10 or so parallels that you brought up, some different echoes between Moses and, and Jesus's life. Um, but there were a couple that you didn't even have time to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them occurs in John one seventeen. He went to John one fourteen on Sunday, but a few verses later in the same context in John one seventeen, it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, you know, we've, we just talked about this a little bit, how Moses, you know, really throughout all of, of history and even into like, I'll say like the middle ages and beyond, uh, even to this day, you know, philosophers look at Moses and he's considered a really big deal, especially in, in the Jewish religion and in, in Judaism, uh, because he's the lawgiver. He's the one who receives the law from God. And so my question about the parallel in, in John 1 17, you know, uh, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So how do you understand the relationship between Jesus and Moses as described in John 1 17. Um, I think that's a lot of how the parallel between what I talked about for how the Ten Commandments and how Jesus expounded on them, how there is a distinction between them, it's two different times, yet they're very similar. And so Jesus did not come to get rid of the Ten Commandments. He came to fulfill them, the scriptures say. Um, I know like the Beatitudes, I think definitely shows that grace and truth part. I view the Sermon on the Mount as focusing more on kind of like our attitude, our thought patterns, how we treat others. Um, I would say more like interpersonal and especially relationships between you and someone else. Um, in comparison, I view the Ten Commandments as more of like the letter of the law. Like it's more of a black and white, yes or no, did this happen, did you not do it? Um, did you or did you not break a commandment? Jesus, his teachings are more of a grayer area. Um, you know, emotions, feelings, thoughts, they're not so black and white. Yet, I don't think you could get by one without the other um if you didn't have something that was i would say more of like 
guidelines or a way to steer yourself. I would view more of the Ten Commandments. It's very easy if you cross a line. So that's what kind of drives your path. But then what Jesus taught on is more of while you're going down that path, how you act, how you respect others, how you treat others. Um, like I said, a lot more of the personal side, I think, which some of that, which, you know, Jesus taught on was the Pharisees taking the letter of the law way too far or making it their own line, not really the intent that God had behind what the commandments were. And so it's also bringing back that, you know, a lot more of the personal stuff of, you know, boasting, being all full of yourself, taking the power of it, lording over people, having the best seat. Um, that's all things that we might do to internally feel better, internally have power, control. Um, and so obviously Jesus taught on the truth about what you should be doing and how you should act, I think, to further. Because um, like I said, the, the Ten Commandments, they weren't, most of them are very short. There is a lot of interpretation, if you want to take it that way, um, of how you should act and what you should do. And I think that's where the Pharisees took some things too far. And so the truth part of what Jesus came is expounding on it to where you have a better understanding of what they actually mean, the actual heart of God's intent behind them. Yeah, I, I think you're making a good point here between like Moses, the law, it, it's a national thing. It's a it's a it's a it's like a federal law. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like general rules that should apply to everyone. And and laws can be unforgiving, you know, they yeah. uh, and then you have to look at like the intent of the law and you. You look at like the examples of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are all upset because like technically he shouldn't be healing people on the Sabbath. He's doing work. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' point is like, look, God's the one who made the Sabbath. You know, if my father is working on the Sabbath, then I, I, then I can work on the Sabbath. Like if God, if my father, if God is willing to, to work, if this is indeed work, which I think we can, we can debate whether or not healing someone is work. <laughs> okay. But but like even assuming <laughs> Jesus is sort of like saying, well, assuming that your definition of work applies and that healing someone is work, then me healing this person means that God is healing this person, which means that my father, who's God, is also working on the Sabbath. And so it's like, what is the Sabbath made for? Is the Sabbath made, uh, is man made for the Sabbath or is the Sabbath made for man? That's the question he asks the Pharisees. And so I think I think that's that's a that's a good a good point that you know it's it's not i don't think john what john 117 is surely not saying is moses gave us the law and then jesus got rid of the law that's not what it's mm -hmm. saying um it's it's you could almost see it as an amplification of what moses did that you know there's this greater grace when you really understand god's heart and there's this greater truth when you see it lived out i think in the person of jesus and how he interacted with people so like what he taught and how he lived um and 
and yeah, you find, especially in the gospel of John, but the other gospels as well, you find him interacting with the Pharisees over and over again on these types of issues. You know, what does it mean to be um, someone who follows the law of God? Well, Mm -hmm. it, it means doing what God wants done. And sometimes that might mean looking like you're not abiding by the letter of the law. Although I do think that Jesus, I don't think he ever really violated the law. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think I think he he upheld the law. But, but I think when we get into these weird situations like eating food on the Sabbath, you know, like plucking grain on the Sabbath and eating it like the disciples were doing or like healing on the Sabbath or all these marginal times when maybe Jesus was like walking right up to the line. You know, a lot of these were well-known exceptions, even to this day are well-known exceptions um, of like the food laws and of mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And um, just to give like a modern example, um, we we worship in a synagogue, Kenneth Israel Synagogue. And, um, you know, I know you know this, Adam, but our listeners may not know, you know, kosher requires a lot of different things. Um, and one of the things I asked them early on is I said, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be coming in from off the street. And if they have small children, you know, and they, they're not nursing, if they're, if they're bottle feeding their child, you know, I I don't, I'm I'm not gonna be able to police like what bottle is this or what bottle is kosher, what bottle is not kosher. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, the, the, um, when the, our contact at the synagogue said, Oh, uh, uh, bottled, you know, like bottles for babies. It's always kosher. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) he's like, yeah, it's always kosher. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, there's such great practicality in that, where it's like, they understand that like, that's, people are doing the best they can. And, you know, that baby needs to live. So like, they're not gonna be like, yeah. no, you can't feed your baby in our synagogue. You know, it's like, um, so anyway, it, I, you know, even with a lot of stuff that G's dealt with, there's like these well-known like, oh, but like in this situation, it's not like that. Um, but the Pharisees weren't interested in that, but. Anyway, yeah. I think I think that's I think that's great. Um, I I think another another way to answer that question, or another way to look at that uh, question, is to uh, look at the book of Hebrews. Um, the point, you know, one of the bigger points of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. In the first couple of chapters, um, the writer, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews. There's different theories, but. Um, the first couple of chapters really center on Jesus is, is better than the angels. Um, and then in chapter three, the transitions made to Jesus being greater than Moses, which is really interesting in light of Deuteronomy 18 and the prophecy. Um, and then, you know, in a lot of the rest of the, you know, we get a couple of chapters in but beyond chapter three. And then you start seeing like the covenant that Jesus made is greater than the covenant that Moses made. So it's like not mm-hmm. even is Jesus greater than Moses, but the covenant that he made is greater than the covenant that Moses made. Um, but I wanted to read uh, Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, this is ESV. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence 
and our boasting and our hope. So I guess my question, this might be a little bit of softball in light of all we just discussed, but <laughs> doesn't this indicate the same thing as John 1.17, that Jesus fulfilled and took further the work that Moses did? Yeah, I definitely think it does. Um, you know, both Moses and Jesus taught how we should act and how we follow God and follow after the heart and intent of what God wants for our lives. Um, yet the distinction there is it's not by Moses that we are saved. Our sins are not forgiven through Moses. It is through Jesus Christ. Um, he is greater. He is the greatest. No man before had the power or authority to forgive sins. No man before could redeem mankind from the first sin of Adam. Uh, you know, Moses wasn't perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect. He always did the Father's will. Um, you know, that's half of what we talked about is Moses thinking that his plan is what he wants to do, not necessarily God's plan. Yet for Jesus, it was always God's plan is his plan. Um, even the times I touched on this in my sermon at Gethsemane, where, you know, everyone knows that if you knew you were going to die a gruesome death, a horrible death, be humiliated, I don't think anyone would volunteer to do that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't Jesus' will. It was as God wills. So I think there's definitely distinctions there and differences, and it definitely shows, I think, how Jesus was and is greater than Moses. But I think it also shows some of that progression. You did mention the covenants, how even the covenant of Jesus is greater. And some of the research I've done through covenants is very interesting how each covenant seems to save more and more of God's people and more and more people on earth. And so, you know, like Moses, his covenant was for Israel. He saved the Israelites, anyone who falls under the 12 tribes and all their descendants, all those people are saved. But mainly the Gentiles were not in that covenant. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until Jesus came that the Gentiles, that all could be saved. So it is bigger, better, greater in that sense um, of the covenants as well. Yeah. And, and to get into the, the sacrificial system just really quickly, you know, Moses gave them a way to deal with their sins, you know, through Leviticus, through the Levitical law. And they, they dealt with it. But as the book of Hebrews will go on to say, you know, Jesus enters into, you know, the tabernacle in heaven with his own blood and he mm -hmm. and he atones once and for all so that there's no further need for animal sacrifices and then our response is what it says in romans 12 which i preached on a couple weeks ago which is to put ourselves on the altar then as living sacrifices we don't we yeah. no longer make animal sacrifices for ourselves <laughs> we are the sacrifice and we, thankfully generally speaking we don't have to die there are obviously examples of Christian martyrs like uh, Stephen uh, in the book of Acts and, and others. Uh, but, but most of us thankfully don't have to be martyrs. And, uh, and so that's, that's a good thing, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think this is, this is really helpful to help people see, uh, you know, Moses is doing his job. He's getting as far as he can with what, you know, he's been given the ministry that he's been given. 
but Jesus is is greater than him in a lot of mm-hmm. different ways. Um, I, before we wrap up, um, is there anything else I missed that you wanted to talk about or anything, uh, any echoes that we haven't talked about that you thought were interesting or any other final comments that you have? Yeah, there was, um, there was one echo that actually cut out my sermon um, that I did some research on and looked into a little bit that I like a lot. Um, just I think the placement I had in my sermon, it just didn't, it didn't go the direction that the sermon was going. I think it would have been kind of like a tangent, which this is obviously a great time to talk about the tangents. This is where we can talk about tangents. Yeah, exactly. So one of the echoes was actually shepherds through the Bible. Um, So some people, they're named as shepherds in the Bible. Um, The dominant ones are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. Um, You also have Moses, David, Jesus, the good shepherd. And Jesus is called the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I want to read the verses here, um, 7 through 11. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, here we see Jesus is keeping his sheep safe. Um, as I mentioned, David is also a shepherd. Um, he said to Saul in First Samuel that he struck down both lions and bears to protect his father's sheep. Jesus has already done the hard part of laying down his own life. Like he says at the end here, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, God sent his son ahead of time. And by Jesus laying down his life, he was able to redeem mankind. Like you mentioned, that blood, the he was the ultimate sacrifice. We do not have to do animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus' blood paid it. But I also like the door analogy here um, in these verses that Jesus is the door. And by Jesus coming and paying that price, the door is partially open. We get to experience, we get to see part of the kingdom today. We do not have to wait until, um, you know, we cross over into the promised land to be in the kingdom. We get to see some of that today. We can actually see the promised land. And in the future, obviously, everything will be perfect. We'll be finally in the promised land, in the kingdom. But it's very exciting to see that we are living in the exact same steps that the Israelites did, that we get to live that today, that it's not just their story, it's our story. We can learn from their story, and that as we live today and we're helping Jesus build his temple to you know, see the kingdom today, um, that there will be a day when we are in that temple, when we are in the promised land, in the kingdom. But today, you know, Jesus is the door and he is leading us into the promised land as the good shepherd. Yeah, that's that's really great, Adam. It reminds me there's a, a 
and those around the country may be aware of this, but there's a, a scale, um, a full-size model, the ARC, called the ARC Encounter. It's, it's here in Kentucky. It's about an hour from my house. And um, I don't know how well people know the story of the ARC, but at, at some point, the, the door is so big that God has to shut the door so that Noah and his family and all the animals that they've saved are going to be okay. You know, he's, he's got to shut the door. The door is huge. And you, you walk into the exhibit at the Ark Encounter. And like, I, I teared up when I saw it because um, at the Ark Encounter, what they do, and I'm hopefully I'm not spoiling this for people. And if you come and you visit, you're still moved by this, but um you walk up to it and they do the same. They, they mentioned the same verse that, that you just did. They talk about how Jesus is the door. And the whole idea is, is that, you know, um, you know, as believers, we look at the kingdom like it's a totally positive thing. And for us, it is a totally positive thing. But there's also this judgment side mm -hmm. of the kingdom where the people who aren't doing the things that God wants, they're going to face judgment, just like in the flood. And so Jesus is the door. We get through the door onto the ark and then God's going to shut that door and then the flood's going to come. And so there's just this amazing, this amazing uh, imagery of how our way to salvation was paved uh, by our Lord Jesus. And, and it's prefigured by people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and, and others. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to think about. But, yeah, that shepherd one and that door, the shepherd and the door, those are two really powerful uh, echoes there, uh, for sure. Well, uh, Adam, thanks so much for sitting down with me and, and thanks again for preaching last Sunday. And, um, anyway, hope you have a great rest of your evening. Yep. Thank you, Will. Thanks for joining us on this deep dive. I want to close by thanking Dave Tench for his musical contributions and Paula Ely for her help with design and editing. We'll catch you next time. Let's continue to follow Jesus together.